Here, click. Yeah. We just... It's a virtual click? It's still... Click. It's, a, it's still a good click. It's still a good click. My clicks are good. Now, if I start with a beverage, one thing will lead to another. We better not. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you just. It's very hard. It's still open. It's what? 7:20. Yeah. At least till nine. At least till nine, and then there's the wine rack till 11. We're good. <laughs> and then there's Uber Eats. They deliver now. That's true. It is. That's true. Uh, hey, but you have to order food with it. I think. No, you don't. You can do just a bottle of wine. Wow. Just like that. 10 minutes and your friend she's going nuts at the door because the uber guys arrived <laughs> that's amazing then she tries to drink some of it but that's another episode all right so we need to talk about a case that um we at do. the media uh this past week um where in fact the next day i was on uh, radio talking about it and it's a, a very interesting decision a sexual assault case the accused it was a female teacher we're not naming anybody we're going to be careful about the facts um, but it got a ton of publicity and, um, when I was asked to comment on a number of media platforms, it, it, there were comments by the judge that were very critical of the police investigation, um, coupled with, um, difficulties that the judge had with the complainant's evidence, which was a 12 year old boy who said that she was, he was, uh, sexually assaulted by this female teacher in school in a quiet room and you'll go through some of the facts but I'm just setting this up um, but there were comments that the judge had said particularly about uh, the investigation or lack thereof that has drawn a tremendous amount of public attention where I think this is important for us to address in the podcast because this is a, a judge who I've known for 30 years or 20 some odd years and he's an excellent a person and an excellent judge, extremely fair, smart, good writer, um, most importantly, a good human being, and he gets this. The problem is what he has decided in this case and his criticisms is not a reflection of what reality is with investigations of sexual assault cases, including those with child complainants, it's not a reflection of what other courts would find challenging with respect to complainant's evidence. And we're going to go into that. And we've spoken, we have a number of podcasts where we talk about cases involving child allegations, where we talk about no matter how risky the behavior might be or how implausible it might be, that seems to not really carry a day uh, at trial for this. And there's case law that talks about how you assess a child uh, complainant. In other words, we don't assess their evidence the same as an adult, that it's important to not hold them to the same standard of, you know, they're going to be perfect on timing, they're going to be perfect on what somebody was wearing, perfect on frequency of it. Those types of things the courts tell us you would expect to be problematic with somebody who's not an adult. It's still proof beyond a reasonable doubt. All of these are relevant issues because I want to address reality. And I really uh, like what His Honor has said. And I want to talk about it. But I want to contrast that or juxtapose it with what, what reality is. Okay, that's a good setup. I like it. So this is a provincial court. I know, I know, blood pressure warning, folks. Just be prepared. 
Yeah. So this is a case from the Ontario Court of Justice, which is our provincial court. It's quite recent, as Joseph said, just this released just this past uh, December. Uh, we can't give the names because there's a publication ban, but we can certainly delve into the facts. So in this case, um, uh, the accused, she was actually, I think, a teacher's aide, but close enough, teacher, teacher's aide, um, was charged with sexual assault and sexual touching of an individual under 16 years of age. Two very serious charges. The judge had already uh, addressed um, the main issues at trial, but then uh, felt compelled to uh, release these supplementary reasons, which are very important because he goes the added step of talking about the assessment of credibility, the police investigation, and also the implications uh, arising from how the school board responded to all of this. The school board, instead of uh, assisting the police in any sort of investigation, just, no, hands up, student privacy, can't tell you anything, which the judge wasn't uh, too pleased with in terms of advancing, ultimately, the truth of what happened here. Uh, so in any event, this, this young man now is 17 years of age. He's a grade 12 high school student. And he decided to make a 911 call in August of 2022 relating to an incident in June of 2018. The allegation was with respect to when he was 12 years of age in grade six. Remember, today or when he makes the complaint, he's uh, 17. So he complained uh, that uh, the teacher's aide who uh, is involved was involved in supervising him. Um, that's her job. Um, allegedly um, took him to a quiet room beside his classroom um, and they had unprotect unprotected sexual intercourse. Uh, he described his involvement as having included the removal of his own pants, locking the door where the incident took place, had some recollection that, that this took 15 minutes and um, got, was on top of his teacher's aide having sex. That was the allegation. Um, so, uh, you know, it triggered the police investigation and then, you know, the teacher's aide was ultimately charged and then fell into this hell of defending herself and fortunately was acquitted. But uh, it was just mind-boggling uh, the description of what is alleged to have happened. Apparently, this was described as an unanticipated, unplanned incident of sexual intercourse of a duration of less than 12 minutes, again, with the complainant remaining on top of the teacher's aide for the whole time and uh, he claimed that after about 12 minutes um, that uh, they should take a break apparently ejaculated um, and uh, fondled uh, her breasts and uh, thought she was probably wearing underwear but he didn't recall any kissing having taken place so all of this starts to unravel and various investigators uh, get a piece of it. There's multiple officers involved, multiple senior detectives involved, and then um, the trial takes place. Let, let me just back up for one second. So there is a statement provided by the complainant in uh, August of 2022. Right. And the, in the statement, the complainant detailed allegations of sexual impropriety taking place during, as you said, a 15-minute break in the school day. Okay. It followed previous interactions with the defendant during which she was characterized as having been very physical and very touchy with the complainant. Touching of sexual nature was stated to have included 
um, having touched the complainant's thigh and rested her leg against the complainant's leg. The um, court noted, so the reason I say that is in complaints, you will see um, uh, somebody say that there has been some, what we call maybe grooming. You know, there are some other instances of some touching or some flirtation or some innuendo which comes the way of the complainant. Um, but the, the court in its reasons said, the original complaint in this matter is unusual and it entails a seemingly unplanned and unanticipated incident of unprotected sexual intercourse in what is known now to be an unlocked room during the 15-minute break in a school day. So what came out at trial, and we'll right. talk about it in a few minutes, was that in fact, had the police actually gone to the school and, and looked at the room and taken right. photographs, Imagine. they would have found out that the room was not one that could be locked. But I just want to juxtapose here, because you will find this in other cases where people get convicted, okay? Where there is some sort of pretext to what allegedly happens is the sexual assault. That pretext is some sort of time period of touching or discussions or some innuendo, as I've said, leading up to at some point something happening, okay? Not unusual. And, and other courts will say that is evidence supportive of why this happened, okay? But his honor, you know, God bless him, sees the way that this has come out as, as being really unusual, particularly because it's during the day on a break in a room that's unlocked. And not only that, the uh, young man, as he then was, had mental health issues. He was known to act out. This uh, teacher's aide was aware that this was a child that would lash out, and they were well aware that he was a problematic child. But I just love what the judge says at paragraph 28 about uh, the inconsistencies that the defense brought out. So he says here, the inherent inconsistencies in the varied reports offered of the incident are concluded to be hallmarks of an attempt to recount an incident that never took place and a seeming unwillingness of the officer in charge of the subsequent police investigation to question the veracity of the complainant at the expense of a fellow investigator and the detriment of the defendant. So it seems like this domino effect takes place where he provides the initial statement, then another officer is involved, things change a bit, and then just continues and continues, but no one's willing to challenge that, well, except for uh, Justice Tetley. Yeah. Dramatic pause. Yeah, dr very dramatic pause. And, so, and when he explains, when he explains uh, at trial why his recall may not have been as good as it previously was, the young man, well, older young man now says, he ascribed his less than exact recall as being related to the suppressed memory of a traumatic event. Pause. Remember when we had Professor, I never get his name right, Patias, Patias. He said, you don't suppress stuff like that. And, 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 okay, so right now, there's a certain expert who's called by the Crown in high-profile cases. It happened in the Headley case. It's in the Court of Appeal now where they're appealing the conviction. We've, we've talked about this expert before, and they talk about the neurobiology of trauma. And the Crown calls out these experts to essentially... They, this, this expert never assesses a complainant. It's just general information about how trauma may impact your memory and why memory may be fractured, okay? So what it does is really preempt the use of inconsistencies 
or challenges with respect to the complainant's memory or recall or stuff like I'm suppressing this bullshit. Right. Um, as as now there's there's pretext to get a jury or a trier of fact to convict. Okay. It's called junk science. There's, there's yeah. Yeah. But so the court of appeal will have to deal with that. I'm not sure what they're going to do. We'll see. But but we're firmly of the opinion that that really isn't helpful evidence that we all know when bad things happen it you know people react to traumas and bad things in different ways and there may be some inconsistencies that are not core features that are not material that's fine but when there are a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of difficulties with the evidence it has to mean something right and it's not just simply a hallmark of somebody trying to trying to give their evidence correctly so you know it often will be argued that the core evidence of what they say is consistent right. but other stuff isn't so you, should, you just who cares yeah, that's not... and 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 this use of suppressed memory this is why we've had that professor on we had professor loftus on yes. we're going to bring back um a professor say I it, say it, it, say it, it Patias. 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 yeah Patias. okay we got it um, because his studies are extremely good yes. um and we accept as seasoned litigators that not everything is going to be perfect but there are things that are more material than others right and in here there are a lot of issues with respect to inconsistencies in the various accounts and it's funny how, how the trial starts to unravel oh sorry go sorry. ahead clothes worn characteristics of the room subsequent disclosure of events to others no meaningful consideration of the various challenges faced by the complainant at the time which was their own behavioral issues, et cetera, et cetera. And he starts to unravel the right. complaint during the trial. Explain. He, he says, and this is paragraph 30, he admits, oh, thank God, he admits that he had mental health issues at the time of the incident. Uh, he believed he had borderline personality disorder. At the time, he described his behavior as being really bad to be characterized by acting out. That resulted in him getting into a lot of trouble to the extent that a special supervisory educational plan was put in place to uh, ensure that he could function in school. So he, let's stop for a second. Right. So if if we as a defense counsel are told by our client, listen, the complainant has significant issues that may impact upon you know why they're lying, may impact upon their reliability and or credibility, and it's mental health issues, even behavioral issues, we can't raise that. What we have to do is if we want to go after the records or be able to really get into areas of cross-examination on that in any real depth, we have to bring an application. And if we want to go after the records, for example, with respect to the school, we have to serve the school with a subpoena for the records. There has to be a special hearing. Um, in that special hearing, we have to present... Um, you know, cogent argument as to what would be relevant in those records, relevant to the trial. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy threshold to meet when you haven't seen the records. Right. So just think about how difficult it is for an accused paying lawyers to go bring a motion to fight a school board who will have their own lawyer respond to it, and then you have to deal with the Crown, Right. and you have to deal with the court. It's a lot of hoops. It's a lot of hoops. So this complainant, to his credit, talked about what his challenges were, which then raised it before the court so it could be dealt with. Right. But everybody should be very clear because clients come in and they say, 
you know, X, Y, and Z. And we have to be sensitive because we don't want to call a complainant or a witness, you know, uh, you know, incapable of giving evidence or being unreliable simply because they may have depression right. or I mean, who doesn't, right. <laughs> you know, these days, or anxiety yeah. or whatever. You know, we need to be sensitive about that. There's no sense in beating up on a witness. No, no, never. And that that's not good. That no. doesn't. That do doesn't anybody win a cases. favor? That doesn't win and, and, cases. And it's not it's not good lawyering, and it's it's not good for anybody. That said, there are times when it's highly relevant, like in this case. Well, go, going on, he had had previous assaultive incidents involving the vice principal. He had multiple school suspensions. Like this was a problem child, to put it, I yeah, guess, nicely. Sadly, yes. Sadly, nicely, whatever. But the focus here is what we wanted, and, and this is all arising from the reasons delivered by the judge. So, so the judge focuses on the investigation, and this is really, everything that we've been talking about now is really a setup for this, okay? So we talked about the difficulty of how hard it is for us to get to certain records. I think in my career of now 31 years, on February 9th. Um, Are we getting cake? No, no. It goes right, goes right to my hips. Marcio or apparently my cake. chin. She'll be getting you a cake. Can it be from Metro? Like a chocolate fudge cake? Yeah, I love that one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and Marcy ordered like a bride and groom from Amazon. We stuck it on and we had cake for like $22. Cool. And it was delicious. Um, who has... Who has more resources who has more power to go get records or to do uh, to search out evidence that may be relevant let's let's pause and while this plays maybe people can comment let's take a guess who might have that power hmm let me think oh the police maybe the state you think okay <laughs> so we call the state the government yes so the judge, to his credit, love him. You're going to love that, this paragraph. I know where you're going. A police officer is obliged by virtue of Section 42 of the Police Act. He's using his judge voice now. And the terms of employment in the important position held to investigate alleged offenses faithfully, impartially, and according to the law. While a criminal trial is not to be equated with a judicial inquiry, or a form for a general critique of a given investigation, some comments is warranted in this case with a view to ensuring appropriate steps are taken to ensure investigative fairness in like cases in the future. I'm going to go back. Mm -hmm. Section 42 of the Police Act and the Terms of Employment to investigate alleged offenses Faithfully, impartially, and according to the law. You'll remember the the comments that were out there a long time ago. It's not so much now because we've we've come we've come some way. Hashtag we believe. Okay. Right after the John Gameshi case, and the excellent job done by Marie Hennen and and her team of what was an appropriate way to go about cross-examining and then the ensuing bullshit legislation that the Trudeau government put in. The, the blowout from that resulted in, in this, this term 
we believe, hashtag we believe, that, and that we've gone through in many podcasts that police investigations start from the presumption that the complainant is telling the truth and, and the accused is guilty. And, and for those of us who practice in this area and have seen thousands of interviews, you will see in those interviews the police are saying, it's not your fault, you shouldn't feel bad, it's brave of you to come forward, I know this is hard. It's supportive. I understand why they want to be supportive. I understand why they want to get evidence from the complainant. But can you really suggest, and, and actually I'll say this, and most investigations, and I'm keeping in mind the fact that the police have limited resources. Whatever arguments are going out there right now in, in Toronto because of budget issues, the police have a lot on their plate. And I'm a criminal defense lawyer, but I'm a citizen as well. And um, police perform lots of functions and they, uh, they need more police officers and they need assistance. And so their resources are stretched. That said, the majority of these investigations involves maybe one or two statements. A statement taken from the complainant, mm -hmm. maybe somebody who they've disclosed to so that they get evidence out about demeanor when the person disclosed it, saying that they're distraught or whatever it is. And then they try and interview the accused and try and get a confession. Okay? I don't know much more than that. The complainant, if they have, if they know each other and there's messaging back and forth, the complainant will say, well, you can see on my phone, here's the messages. Oh, could you please take screenshots of those messages and send them to me? Okay? That, that, that's the level of investigation, okay? And again, that's insane because I've said this a million times. If you want to produce messages, for God's sakes, give the entire thread. It's yeah. not that hard to say, no. are you consenting to me uh, uh, having your phone to search now so I can get the full thread of the messages and I can either... You can and help the metadata. Me, and the metadata and you can help me export it or you know, we'll do whatever is necessary. That should be the standard, period. I have a case right now where I've got messages. I don't even know what they look like. They look like they were exported from a phone, um, but it's not. It's clearly not messages. It's not in the format of you right. see the bubbles and right, the right. whatever on it, the emojis and 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 certainly it it it's only my client's messages, not the complainant. So I said I want this. I want this authenticated, and it'll never happen. No. And they'll still try and put it in. Right. So that's it for investigations. Okay, right. that's it. Do you believe, podcast viewers, <laughs> that that fits with the mandate to investigate alleged offenses, alleged offenses, faithfully and partially and according to law? Your answer, I assume, will be no. As was Justice Tetley said, paragraph 36, if you want to go there. No, no, I'm, I've been talking too much now. You go ahead. Okay, so he lays it out beautifully there. At the, at the time the charges were laid, no inquiry relating to the various challenges faced by the complainant at the time had been ascertained or explored, meaning mental health challenges, physical challenges. The complainant's parents had not been interviewed. His grade six teacher had not been contacted. 
Okay. I, we just won a sexual uh, sexual assault case involving parental alienation. We talked about it on a previous podcast. The mother wasn't interviewed, just as an example. And it's during a bad divorce. Go ahead. Sorry. Other teachers' aides were not interviewed. The school was not visited. Collectively, these initiatives might have conspired to cast doubt on the reliability of the complainant's account of events and sounded a cautionary warning to proceed with the investigative deliberation before acting on the complaint, meaning, hold your horses, there's no rush here, this is historical, you want to conduct an investigation first? Given the complaint related to an incident that had reportedly transpired five years before, with no like incidents involving the defendant known to have occurred since, it's difficult to accept that urgency or compelling public interest dictated the laying of the charges before any meaningful investigation had taken place. Mm-hmm. Uh oh. <laughs> but that's not that's that's not reality. No. That that doesn't happen in the vast majority of cases. And police officers will say, We're not we're not instructed to go find confirmatory evidence or non confirmatory evidence. And let's be clear, to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt, there needs to be no confirmatory evidence. And that's good there's good reason for that. But that doesn't mean you don't investigate. Right. Right? But this doesn't go on. I don't think I've met one case. I mean, in the, look, credit to the police officers in that other case. They did interview or try to interview a therapist and somebody who was doing arbitration for them, but there could have been a lot more done. Other than that, 95% of the cases that we have, it's a complainant statement maybe some messages, a disclosure witness, and that's it. That's it. And, and time and time, police will say, it is not our mandate to disbelieve, to look for anything that may support or refute it. And this is a, a seasoned judge who was a lawyer, who did, he practiced both in family law and criminal, if I remember correctly. And, and he states, these initiatives might have conspired to cast doubt on the reliability of the complaint's account of events and sounded a cautionary warning to proceed with investigative deliberation before acting on the complaint. Because what happened once they made the complaint, they did a f***ing press release right. asking for other victims. And that happens all the time. All the time. Victims. Other victims. Other victims. Not complainants. Other victims. Okay? Read paragraph 38. S certain of these inquiries would have resulted in the revelation that the room which the assaultive conduct unfolded had no lock that the defendant was known to be a reliable professional with a cautious and guarded approach to her relationship with the complainant who had a troubled behavioral history trust me they wouldn't care in any case that that we've seen or or is going to be investigated it won't happen the judge says the absence of a meaningful independent objective and impartial investigation and the acceptance of a unique complaint a lot of these are unique yeah without reservation or attempt to verify is is concluded to have resulted in the laying of charges on the basis of the internally conflicted and inconsistent account of the complainant alone blood pressure check but they don't like that's life that's our that's, life that's how, day to day this is what we deal with on a regular and consistent basis and i'm telling you now that this person lost their job yeah 
was vilified in in her in her immediate world mm-hmm. and like we say in many of our podcasts and and we say in other forums the laying of a charge in a case like this is life altering there's no way back you don't recover your there's you no know, way reputation back. and and mm-hmm. and and you know it, it may not even be purged from the computer system. It right. will say not guilty or dismissed. Right. Right. But if you do another vulnerable sector search, it's going to come up. They won't get a job. Right. And I guarantee you, Children's Aid already put her on the, the, the child abuse registry. Good luck getting rid of that. Right. Because what will happen is everybody will dig their heels in on this and go, well, it's not our job right. to do that. We don't have the resource for it. Never mind. That's not our mandate. We believe... Uh, uh, complainants when they come forward. We believe the victims, and that's not our job. If we have reasonable grounds based on our evidence, we can proceed, and we're, you know, you can't prosecute them for that through a civil case, because frankly, they're right. The threshold has to be, you know, malicious prosecution with, you know, whatever, you know, a a gross uh, misconduct or negligence. I think I'm getting that term correct, but it's a high threshold. Yeah. You know, this is... And and, and, and and I'm telling you that there will be those other voices will say this is bad for sexual assault victims to come forward. This will this will have a chilling effect for sexual assault victims to come forward because they are not believed, because they will be subjected to being disbelieved. They will have their life investigated in a minutia. They are then made into be the 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 culprit in this case. The trial's about them and not about the accused. Yeah, that's the shit that's going to go on and fly out there about this. Where what what this judge is trying to say? Look, let me put this into more neutral terms. Just investigate. Yeah, just investigate. Go look at the school. Take some photographs. Interview a couple of teachers. Take a look at the student record. Right. Do a bit of investigation. And that's what he says. What did not happen here was any meaningful investigative initiatives beyond the accepted or believed complaint itself. This fact was underscored by the Crown's decision to only call the complainant as the sole witness in the prosecution's case. Because there was no other evidence. The judgment serves as a cautionary example as to the fact an injustice can occur when appropriate and available investigative steps are not pursued and a criminal prosecution instituted on what is now concluded to be an uncorroborated complaint of criminal misconduct of dubious reliability. And I'm telling you, there are groups who will assail this. Because, again, the law is clear, you don't need corroboration. But what His Honor did was when you take all the inconsistencies that existed in the reporting of the incident initially, the subsequent interview, and other available evidence. When you the when you step back, yeah. when you step back and you go, like, had they invet- had they gone to the school, they would have known there was never a lock on that door. Right. So his honor is now has a very detailed review of all the facts, which is not available to the police because they didn't go look for it. Right. But I'm telling you. The blowback from this will be, and is, that this will have a chilling effect. This is exactly what they're saying should not happen in sexual assault cases. This is not what should happen in sexual assault cases because victims need to be believed. 
Right. They don't need to be challenged. They don't need to go into an interview and have police officers question the veracity of their evidence. Right? Yeah. And we're not saying it has to be a interrogation. No, no. Just sit back, listen, get them a cup of coffee, have them sit on a nice couch, you know, talk to them about it, ask some probing questions, then go to a school, execute a, execute a search warrant if you need to, take some photographs, think about it a little bit more. The power to lay a charge is, is so incredibly, um, uh, not just life-altering, it, it life-crushing, potentially. It's, it's one of the most powerful, um, I don't wanna say tools, but authorities it, 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 that we have in, in society, and in particular in a democratic society, where we hold on to principles. Um, and, and the ability to charge is so powerful that it has to be acted on judiciously. And there are good police officers who work hard and think hard. I mean, when I think about the homicide investigators we've come in contact with over the years, and just how intelligent they are, and how hardworking they are, and how they dig and dig and dig, you know, and, and I'm not saying that those trained in sexual assault cases are not, but the ethos is the challenge mm -hmm. that we need to overcome. We need to step back a little bit more. This was the cautionary tale that I'm telling you will not carry the day. It's not gonna change any other investigation. I'm bothered by the school board. I don't know, that, that bothers me. They, they, they take a positive directive to other teachers, other teachers age, do not discuss this with the police. Really? Think about that. Look, I, I got a lot of challenge. I think I there's a lot of challenges. There's student but. privacy, fine. But the police? Don't talk to the police about this case? Really? Yeah, I, I, I you know. As the judge said, this directive acted to... But the police can execute a warrant. Well, yeah. And to obtain the, uh, the, the school record. And the, this directive acted to effectively thwart the disclosure of meaningful and alternatively compelling evidence. So in this case, uh, the defense subpoenaed witnesses from the school, and that's how a lot of this evidence got out. And again, think about, at, we talk about access to justice and people complain about lawyer's fees and everything, but you know, this is how we make a living, unfortunately, right? And we, we have children, we, have, we need to put food on the table, we need to pay for electricity, we need to pay for our staff, right? So we have to charge for our time. But an access to justice issue is if you have to then bring an application to get the school records, subpoena witnesses, get them to court. This turns you know a one day trial into maybe a three, four, five day trial. And in our cases, we do written submissions because it's too important to f up. Right. We got to make sure we get every every point done. It's so. This was just like this was everything we talk about in so many of our podcasts rolled into one case. Yeah, totally. And you know. And it happens to women too. We've said this. Females get charged. Right. Well, here. You know, I mean, we don't just act for men. It's not right. like, you know, it's as those who want to vilify us that we're somehow misogynistic or spreading a, a false narrative that there are, are that there are false accusations. Again, we've been accused of saying it's a myth that there are false allegations. That's not true. It goes for men, it goes for women. Mm -hmm. We've said it in other podcasts, is people don't tell the truth for various reasons. Right. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. And we have to work within what I think is a fairly good criminal justice system, where we have a good judiciary, where I think we all want to arrive at the truth,
but we got to be much more diligent. We got to be much more objective. In this case, I just wanted to bring up right away with you because it talks about yeah. everything that we talk about. Totally. And I commend this judge, and, and this was a very thorough analysis, good defense work. You know, the defense lawyer did a good job here, a very good job here. And unfortunately, I just don't think this will move the needle anywhere. Nope. But it's a start. I really wish it would be. Um, I really wish it would be. But, you know, I, I'll just say, like, you know, sort of in closing, you're dealing with a case involving a school where there is no criminal complaint. And well, the school the, takes it as 100% accurate. Stop, stop. Police investigated. Police said, we're not charging this guy, this student, based on some 12-month-old uh, alleged kiss and fondle. No, sorry, school, we're not charging him. Good for the police. Yeah. And the school? School, 20-day suspension, reduced it a bit, but they won't remove the suspension from his record, so now I'm appealing that. Because they said, well, we've reduced the suspension for mitigating reasons, but, you know, so he can come back to school this week, but it stays on. And I, and I can tell you there's other instances where they're facing expulsion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. They're facing expulsion. But for our involvement, it probably would have gone there because it was a sex assault allegation. And... Well, sorry, they didn't use the word allegation. There was a sex assault. That, that was my point. That, you know, they, they take it as a given. It's a given. And we have a case now where, unfortunately... Um, the client didn't want to fight the university and just said, F*** it. Uh, and um, we're fighting out the case. But the university said, you can't come back to campus. For those courses that you can do online, you're welcome to do it, but you can't come here. So he said, you know what, I'll do what I can online and then I'm going to apply somewhere else. Mind maybe, maybe he will be able to get into another course somewhere or maybe not but think about that right anyways um i'm kind of depressed about it so why don't you do pillow talk but first we have to do special thanks to justice tetley it was a brave decision yeah no, it's, 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 it was good look he's uh he's been a judge for i don't know 20 some odd years yeah um and you know he's seen everything and he saw it as a lawyer and he right. did he did a great job here um and I'm not, you know, uh, condemning the Crown on this in any way. No, no. You know, the Crown has a very important job to do, and it's not easy to do. But I just think this was a cautionary tale. Um, I'm just sad that I don't think it will it will change things. Where I think, you know, it, it wouldn't take much to make some meaning, meaningful change to make these more objective and more thorough investigations. Well, I had the case last week. That yeah. should cheer you up. The Crown had the decency to stand up. At the end, it was a he says, she says sex assault. Complainant performed horribly under cross. Our client, well prepared, told his story beautifully. Well, Cra truthfully. Truthfully, yeah. And then at the end of the trial, before it went to submissions, the Crown, and I give credit to her, young Crown, dangerous move, but got up and said, Your Honor, you know, if I, if I weigh the evidence of, of my, you know, of the complainant versus to how the accused just testified, I can't stand here and allow this to go further. I'm inviting your honor to acquit. That's Well, rare. that is a highly professional yes. um, approach taken by a crown attorney who will have a very good career um, 
because they understand that their approach is a truth-seeking approach. Oh, the ministers of justice. And so, as we say, it's a semi-judicious position. Right. So credit to her. Yes. She did a good job, and that was fair. There will be other cases I'm sure she'll prosecute right to the finish and fight like hell, but that's a fair approach to take. Right. I, and that's great. I just still think, look, I had a case where the Crown, who I've known for a long time and I like very much, uh, you know, uh, was very conscious of a, of a problem in, in the evidence in his case and conceded a point, which was extremely important overall for the acquittal. They're good Crown attorneys. We've said this many times. That's not the issue for me. The issue for me is where do we go to just try and make it a bit more objective, to try and seek out some evidence in an objective, investigative way. It's not going to, in my opinion, have a negative impact on the complainant. It's just about investigating. I mean, they do it for other cases. Every other case they do. Even in domestic cases, they do sometimes more investigation. Right. You know, um, I don't know. We're going to have to cheer him up, folks. In the meantime, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and share. I said that quickly because I go have to cheer him up now after this episode. He'll be fine. I'll be fine. You got Thank it, Marcy? You. Marcy's Thank got you again, it, folks. all, for your uh, wonderful viewership, your support, your excellent comments when the podcasts uh, drop. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night.